Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk your SLP podcast that gives you that jolt of inspiration every Monday morning when you need it. I am here for you. And I'm so excited to have Hannah Stroud here to talk all about wordless picture books. If you've been following me or listening to me for a while now, you know I love wordless YouTube videos, wordless picture books, because they make learning so much fun. And I'm so excited to talk all about wordless picture books with Hannah here today. So Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Hallie, for having me. So tell us, everyone listening, who are you and a little bit more about your journey into education and how you started falling in love with this picture books. All right. So I have a literacy company where I'm a tutor and then I also consult with other educators. And so my my passion is teaching kids reading and spelling. So that's kind of been my progress for many, many years. I worked for the school board for 15 years and then my own practice now for about 10 or 11 years. And I accidentally fell into wordless picture book. <laughs> so I was running the literacy night with a group of colleagues at my school and my job was to get donations for books and then to be able to hand them out to kids. Every family and every kid got a book at the end of the night. So as I was going through the books, I came across Cat and Chicken and I opened the book and I was like, nope, <laughs> nope, no words. We're not handing that on one. And I literally just threw it on my desk and I like was really perplexed thinking like, why on earth would somebody write a book with no words. And how can I like promote that when I'm like teaching kids all about reading? So later on in the week, I found it again. And I was like, okay, I got to dig in. Like, why on earth would somebody create this? 
And over probably the next two or three weeks, I just started playing with it and thinking like, okay, there is a story here. There is clearly a beginning, middle, and end. There's a problem. There's a solution. There's characters in the setting. Oh my gosh, this is a narrative. What? Why did I dismiss it so quickly? And I guess it was because I just had never heard of this genre and I didn't know anybody using it. So it just seemed really, it actually seemed really abstract when actually it's very concrete. So the illustrations are moving along the storyline. So what an awesome way to work on so many oral language skills with kids, storytelling, vocabulary, tons of comprehension. And I thought, okay, let me embrace this and try it out. And I really haven't found a kid who wasn't motivated by being able to open their imagination and their creativity because I can use it with any single kid, any language, with any goal that I can think of. I've used it with a wordless picture book or a wordless video for, for sure. So true. And that's why SLPs were often trying to work on these comprehension goals and these oral language goals. And our students are weak, weak readers. And they're hesitant readers and avoidant readers. And we need their, them to be motivated. And that's why I fell in love with Wordless Picture Books because I was able to tackle those goals without giving them something that they feared so much. Right. Right. And I think so much as reading instruction goes, we're always talking about what level they're at and throwing tons of these words in front of them. And you're right. Like so many of them are just they see words and they freeze like they just start to go into that. Like they think of themselves as I'm not a reader. I can't read. This is too hard. I'll never get through it. They're already self-doubt is right there on page one, even the title. So I had to really figure out how I was even going to demo it or pique their interest by just leaving them there for a little bit of time. And then when I knew what I was doing, then I could help them on their journey to do it. And now I do that with educators, SLPs, parents, all everybody who I can think of, because I just think they're the most versatile genre and the most misunderstood or most sort of underrepresented even, because there's just, unless you know what to look for, you just wouldn't even know what titles to choose. What, how do you find them? So true. Can you give validation for everyone listening that, in fact, using a wordless picture book can improve reading comprehension? Absolutely. So I think when we think of things like inferencing and predicting, well, because there's no words, they're really having to rely on facial expressions for body language, maybe some drawing marks that the author did. They're looking for actions and reactions. So they're having to put those pieces together to be able to make sense of the story. It's not being handed to them by the words. So they're really having to use their imagination, use a lot of background experience, use outside knowledge to kind of bring in and then tie all those pieces together. And then really helping kids understand what is the difference between making a prediction and making an inference. And those inferences really are reading between the lines. But when you say that to a kid, it really just flies over their head. That means nothing. And especially when you're saying it with a wordless picture book, there are no lines to be reading. So what am I reading into? Or when we think about making retelling something and thinking about that sequencing, well, that there's no words. So they're not kind of distracted by thinking I have to quote the book or find the text. They're going quickly to that picture and they're able to make sense of retelling it. And maybe we want to do the summarizing somebody wanted, but so then, and they can literally point 
to the part in the pictures where that action is happening. So it really fills in a lot for them where they're actually having to make sense of it themselves rather than relying on the words to do it for them. Love it. And you mentioned like so many different goals that we are working on in speech and language, summarizing, inferencing, predicting, like those are what we're focusing on because we're focusing on those skill-based things to in turn help them be successful readers, successful learners. So I want to know if you had to pick your all-time favorite wordless picture book, what is it? Okay. That is always the hardest question because I guess for me, I always look at a wordless picture book as what goal can I achieve from this book. So there's probably different ones that I would pick specifically about a target goal, but my all-time favorite book, just generally speaking, is Hike by Pete Oswald. And I like it for a lot of reasons. For one, the characters have brown skin. So I can already be showing it to my students as inclusive. They might be able to see themselves mirrored on the pages of my book because they too might have brown skin. It's a father and a child. And in the book there, the child is not gendered. So they can also really see themselves. We can practice those pronouns of they and them and really help kids understand that there's not just two genders, there's not two pronouns that we can use, like we can really be inclusive that way. I love that there's a very clear problem and solution in it. I love that there's a lesson in it. I love that we can tie it into nature and the environment and the importance of planting trees and creating memories with your family. I just think like for me, it ticks off so many boxes for me that to use it. And for me, when I've looked at books, I also think of the stages of where kids are in understanding in their development of using a wordless picture book. So I, I sort of say like there's a simplistic viewpoint, then there would be like an intermediate and then more complex. So this one for me is intermediate because there are some inset pictures where there it's not as linear because you're looking a little bit deeper into their feelings or their emotions or those inset pictures kind of zoom in or focal point for the kids. So they do have to understand that the double page spread then those pictures set on top of them. There's a little bit more action. So to me, that's not a beginner stage of using a wordless picture book because it's it is still as a linear story, but there's little pieces that you have to point out directly. Otherwise, it's overwhelming. Hmm. Do you have a favorite beginner for this picture book? I've always really loved Ball. And that one is just so great. I think it's Beth Sullivan. And it's a nearly wordless picture book because all throughout, it's just using the word ball, ball, ball. But there's so much inferencing because at one point, the little girl is pointing to the clock and she has a backpack on. So like right from there, you're all of a sudden saying like, why is she pointing to the clock? What do you think that time means? Why is she wearing a backpack? Where could she be going? Why does the author use the only one word to help us understand? And there's question marks after it. There's an exclamation mark. You know, there's a dot, 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 that ellipsis mark. So you're also, even though there's just one word, I can pull it in drawing attention to how we would read it. So there's even prosody and fluency and those punctuation marks. So I want to add that into writing later, or I want to know how to read it in a real book. I'm only doing it with one word and the rest of the pictures are actually driving that storyline. So I really love that one. And there's another one that I found recently, which is a cat and it's called Meow. And it's a similar thing where it's just the cat is going meow. 
meow. And it's different intonations that you can really help kids. If I read it like this, how is she feeling? If I read it like this, how how are they feeling? Things like that, I think, are really powerful for kids to even understand not just facial expressions and body language, but also like the tone of voice. What does that mean? Somebody so that social and emotional development where they're being aware of somebody else communicating and then how they can also communicate in certain ways. I think I just think wordless picture books can be used so many different ways. So those would probably be some of my beginners. But even before that, sometimes with kids, I will even, there's one called It's Not a Book and This Is Not a Book. There's two different ones. And they're actually just, there. there's no storyline, but there's lots of ways that you can play with the book so that on one page, it's just a big monster mouth. So we can feed it words. We can feed it vocabulary. We can, you know, practice different sounds. We can do whatever we want for a language or literacy goal. And it gets them understanding that books do have meaning and the picture is a symbol for something. So how can I then, and they can just pretend to tell a funny story then with one picture rather than a whole book with 10 or 15 or 30 pages. I can imagine that being great for students with the AAC and limited language, just being able to get them to interact with a picture and elicit so much language that it could be so motivating. And some of these, even like the ball and meow, students with those interests that can really tie into if they're into sports, if they're into cats, like totally incorporating their interests. I can see the listening so much language and in turn being able to work on so many skills as well. Right. And I think that what's one thing that I've really seen a shift with a lot of my students, too, is they are more willing to risk telling a story or be rather than just kind of like sometimes a personal narrative seems maybe a little bit too personal for them or they're not sure all of the steps. So the structure of a short wordless picture book for them to be able to guide them through how do we actually tell a narrative? And now let's try to tell a personal narrative and then get them to draw just their own wordless picture book, you know, and even if it's just a three-step little cartoon thing or a five-step thing where they just can draw and they have those images to look at and say, you're a wordless author? Wow. Now tell me your story. Like just their self-esteem and their motivation for telling their own story, just like this other kind of book. It's not having to write a word down is so motivating for them because we have to really get that oral language before they can ever write that story down. But I I agree with you. Like I've said to so many people using it with an AAC device, sign language, any language that they're doing, even gestures and things like that, role playing, the puppets telling the story, retelling and things like that. It can tie in with so many other modalities and things that we're already using. Love it. What is your sense Inferencing, as you know, is my jam. What is your favorite all-time picture book to work on inferencing? And what are some strategies you use to teach it? Okay, so probably one of, another real good favorite is Be In Me by Allison J. And it kind of combines some of the narrative, but also nonfiction facts. So there are no, I'm, I'm going to be brave and say there are no wordless picture books that would be nonfiction, but I really love if I can tie that in because then I can do lots of cross-curricular connections and I love bees. So the story about Bee and Me is about this little child who lives in a big apartment, opens the window and a bee flies in and we can right away, you see children sitting there reading. Oftentimes they get very rigid in their body. Oh, I hate bees. Oh, bees. You know, and I'd be like, oh, tell me, what do you know about bees? right? So how is this little kid feeling about the bee? So we can inference how she might be feeling, even though 
we don't really know unless we're looking carefully, but you can connect to the book through maybe a personal experience. And then as it goes through, she refers to an actual nonfiction book in the story where she's learning about bees. And so through her, we're learning about bees. So as we see her do the next action, I'll say, what do you think she just read about because now we see that she's giving it water. Oh, now we see that she's drying its wings off. Why would she be drying a bee's wings off? And as it goes on, at the end of the story, if I've been reading other nonfiction books about bees, they might pick up on things like a bee corridor. What is a bee corridor? They might understand that we need each other. So is there this, what can we parallel with bees? We need bees to survive. Well, humans also need bees to survive and we need each other. So there's lots of sort of social and emotional ties and connections, but also, you know, what just inferring what she's doing, her actions with what do you think she just read and how is she making those decisions? How does she know to take care of a bee like that? So it's really cute. It's just a really good. Love book. it. Love it. I don't know you guys. I'm heading to Amazon after this chat <laughs> and all these to my cart. My husband's gonna be like, what did you just order? <laughs> but I love all these stories because it also helps with perspective taking and our students really struggle with putting themselves in another person's shoes. Can you share another story that could help with that? So I think if we're really talking about perspective is Rosie's glasses and Rosie's glasses, literally, it's literally a symbolic thing where she is wearing glasses. This book is uh, by Dave Wamond, W-H-A-M-O-N-D. And it's kind of how she looks at the world and she can't really shake her bad mood. So the whole thing is about, does she just need a new perspective, a new outlook on life? And just as you go through the, the book, it gets more colorful. So it really starts off as those black and white images. And as she looks through all these different things and she puts on the glasses, she starts to notice things in her neighborhood. She notices kids in her school. She notices all these pieces. And so, yes, it's still about those emotions, but it's really about just a new outlook. And so you can make tons of connections. And that's another really important comprehension strategy for kids is can they connect to the text to themselves? Can they connect to another book? Can they connect to the world? So when we talk about perspective, you know, like, have you ever felt that way? How did she change her perspective? What made her change her perspective? How did people help her change her perspective? And the glasses are just kind of a symbol throughout the whole book. So that's a really powerful book when you're talking about that. Love it. I'm loving all these different book suggestions based on these specific focuses, but you can also use it for all the other things as well. And that's why I agree. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I guess someone listening is probably wondering what grade level would you recommend these books for? And I'm wondering if your answer is going to be the same as mine. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say wordless picture books can be used by all kids, all grades for all times. Ding, 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 ding. That was going to be my answer. Yeah. That's a so bad I've, part. That's a bad yeah. matter of just finding like illustrations that might be yes. appropriate for that age. Right. Right. And I think that's why when I curated my list of wordless picture books, because I have over 200 in my collection, I was thinking about my number one question is like, how do I use them? Like, how do I read one? And then how do I use it with kids? It seems like I don't ever want them to come across as this is like a textbook or only a mentor text. They're for fun too, right? Because it's, you know, really piquing the curiosity and imagination and, and creativity. But what I really do think is they're really 
to break it into kind of maybe simplistic to say three stages, maybe there's more, but those really beginner ones are those interactive ones where there might be to begin just one word where it's a nearly wordless or sometimes books like Tuesday also has a little beginner blurb at the beginning to kind of get so in the time, like the day and the time kind of thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's a few that do that. And that can also be a little stepping stone. But I've used them with like kids who are like two and three years old, right up to my junior high kids. And that's why I looked at that list and said, can I make this simplistic and then intermediate and then more complex? Because those complex ones can almost have an underlying story to them. They could be almost like there's a lot visually going on. It's not just a double page spread. It's more like a graphic novel that it reads like that. Or even the concepts themselves or the topic might be more, I don't love saying age appropriate, but the content might be something that an older child would experience or have more background information with, I guess. Do you have a favorite that you like to use with like the sixth, seventh, eighth grade students? Yeah, I think a lot of the Arthur Giesbrick, I think Giesbrick is his last name, Giesbrick, I think maybe how you say it, they have a lot going on. So one of them is called thunderstorm maybe and it really has a lot going on with it so there's dates and times but there's just a lot of pictures happening so it is a little bit you know lots of littler kids are scared of thunderstorms or with hurricanes and things like that they might have a scary personal story about that so sometimes I would use a story like that with some older kids who can have a little bit of understanding of emotions be able to explain that a little bit better but that one just has a lot going on and so Think books like that. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Books like maybe I Walk with Vanessa. It's a simple act of kindness story. And ones like that too, like maybe a three and four year old might not get the whole understanding of the story. So to be able to use it with that one, I really like to some of the imagination ones, even Bill Thompson has chalk and fossil. And I use fossil actually with a lot of older kids because fossils are, you know, when you're talking about paleontology and excavation and (laughs) extinction and words like that, maybe a three-year-old doesn't always understand that. So that one I would use. And he also has writer. writer. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And all of those, like they still have a lot of fun and play, but if I'm working on multisyllabic words, I'll pull a book like that because the concept of fossils is a lot more, maybe they could understand a lot of the bigger words. And it might align more to the curriculum of right. like a fifth or sixth, seventh, eighth grader. I also find the illustrations are more realistic looking. Right. It almost right. looks like a photograph, but like yep. clearly it's not. <laughs> right. Yep. I agree. I agree with that. Love it. Love it. What advice would you give to someone who is hesitant or unsure if it would really support the curriculum or would really help the students out? What advice would you give to someone? I think to the bigger part is like answering those questions. Like, first of all, I'm I'm big on being curious about something like that's kind of what always pushes me through life. You don't change unless you get curious about something. So when I think of if what you're doing isn't working (laughs) with some of those goals, try something new or tweak something. And so that was kind of my curiosity about that genre blew open for the last decade. Everything that I've done with kids, right? Like a totally different way to think about it. So I think a lot of it is find out what questions do you have about it and then start to look at the answers for that. And then finding books that would be related that you can use cross-curricular where then you can add that as an additional genre and start to place them in your classroom and even just see how kids respond 
to them and through them being curious and their exploration and you're exploring and you're getting curious, you start to be able to find like, ooh, that's a good book because it ties into social emotional development or it ties into the environment in social studies or, whoa, fossils, that's like a, a huge science topic, right? So you can start to think about ways that you can include those whatever you teach or whatever you're working on with a kid. And to me that I think that there are really five like top benefits. There's lots, but like when I think of them, I think of developing social emotional skills, targeting literacies, concepts, making those predictions and inferences, some of those comprehension, expanding oral language skills, and then encouraging and instructing how to teach kids how to write a narrative. So if once you know some of those things and kind of start to like, oh my gosh, I can do so much with this, I think you realize I'll try it and just start to start somewhere. Start so to get curious. Love it. And although it, we don't necessarily often work on writing narratives in speech, we're working on telling personal narratives like, what did they do over the weekend? So right. teaching the beginning, middle, and end or the structure that somebody wanted, but so then whatever structure that story has, they can use that structure to then tell their version of the story. And I love that suggestion that you made earlier of letting them draw their own wordless picture book to tell their narrative. It yeah. doesn't always have to be word sentences on the paper. Absolutely. Pictures are language as well. Absolutely. That's the way that they are communicating. And if that's our whole goal is getting children to be able to communicate, that's huge. And that's a way that we can connect with each other, right? Like that's just like human. We do that with signage all the time. Not every sign has words on it, mm -hmm. right? So that's another way of showing kids that this is a way of really important communication. And when we're talking sort of even, I know that there's lots of research lately happening about visual literacy and how important that is as well. And it's not just words. So being able to communicate because our, our world is so globally connected now, we don't all speak English. We don't all speak French. We don't all speak Spanish. So those images and being able to interpret data like that is huge for kids. So, so true. Any other points about wordless picture books that we have not touched upon yet that you want to make sure everyone listening is aware of? I, I think really the biggest thing is I, I know that a lot of teachers or SLPs or parents have said to me, I don't know where to begin or I don't know how to make those connections. And so I think a lot of it, too, is really starting to research what goals do I want to achieve and can one of these books help me do that goal? And then where can I gather extension activities or gather other places to sort of support the, the information or cross-curricular connections? And I think that's the biggest, the next kind of biggest piece is really helping people find and locate and bring it all together because it's, it is kind of an unknown genre or the niche seems to be so specific and yet I'm like, you can use it with other, whatever you're already doing. This is just a really cool add-in piece. It's not wiping everything out of the thing. And I think some people have thought like, oh, you know, or when I say I use it for so much and they're like, oh, so it's just a mentor text. I'm like, no, like it's even for just for fun, mm -hmm. you know, so. And SLPs often feel like we need to reinvent all the wheels. You can take those same graphic organizers, like the somebody wanted, but so that, that you've used with whatever and just use it with this one always remember when whatever goal you're working on it's a matter of just presenting in a way that you're still teaching them how to do it and utilize right. those strategies to have utilize those sentence strips use visual right. aids graphic organizers whatever you would use with a text you just use it with this 
Right. And I think maybe one of the biggest things for me is really realizing that the more rereads, the repetitions that we've done, the stronger their skills have happened, even just with one book. So you don't have to take, you know, my 200 book list, like taking one book and you can just unpack so much because the more they tell it, the more they're noticing and the more they're noticing, the more I'm going, oh my gosh, that's a cool moment too. Let's pause here and dive in there. So I think that's a really key thing to remember too about them is that they keep progressing. They keep sort of unpackaging as you progress, telling them multiple times. Yeah. You can use that same book for a month and work on a different goal each and every time. Totally agree. We promise your students won't be bored. Right. (laughs) If you find it fun, they will find it fun too. Right. Thank you so much, Hannah. Where can everyone learn more about you, everything you have to offer? We have all your links and everything in the show notes, but tell everyone where they can learn more about you as well. So my community is definitely on Instagram and in my weekly newsletter. So I often will send some tips there. But every Wednesday on my IGTV, I will share either my favorite newest wordless picture book or I'll share a goodie, an oldie, but a goodie. And I'll show extension activities or other books to partner with it. I created a freebie that's a five kind of top benefits of why I think wordless picture books should be in every library, every classroom, every home. And then I have a workshop that I have that is a three-hour webinar where I work through sort of four steps in a framework of like, if this is something really interesting to you, but where do you start? So we kind of work through like that exploration phase. Then I have to identify what I want to work on, then create that plan. And so I'll walk you through all of that. So you can find me on Instagram though, or join my newsletter that's in the link in my bio, but you'll have all of those links as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hannah. And I always end my episodes with a joke because humor is fun and filled with tons of language. So why did Superman need a babysitter? Oh, I don't know. Why did Superman need a babysitter? Because he always had super vision. <laughs> but I'm bum. <laughs> I will be here every Monday, guys, for another joke and to keep you inspired. Thank you so much, Hannah. And until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, It would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.